This podcast is powered by the leading at the top of your game development experience. If you would like to work with Karen and the shockingly different leadership team to up-level the leadership execution acumen within your organization, visit developingyourgame.com to find out more. Leaders were selected because they were great contributors. They were thrown into position of leadership. They're under-trained, under-prepared, expected to do things by whatever comes natural, and that often betrays them and sets them up for failure. Welcome to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we equipped you to more effectively lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. Each week, we help you sharpen your leadership acumen by cracking open the playbooks of dynamic leaders who are doing big things in their professional endeavors. And now your host, leadership tactics and organizational development expert, Karen Farrell-Rhodes. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and thanks for joining another episode designed to help you better lead at the top of your game. You know, the concept of force multipliers originally was developed in military science, but it applies equally well to leadership and business. It actually refers to when complementary actions or approaches are used together for a greater impact than any one act could achieve alone. And in leadership, it involves organizing resources, you know, especially people, to achieve more than they otherwise could without you. And our guest today has written the true manual on how you can be a force multiplier in any leadership effort. Tony Chapman is the founder of Chapman Enterprises and is a recognized thought leader in the area of workplace relationships and how to bring the best out of people. He's also the author of The Force Multiplier, How to Lead Teams Where Everyone Wins. And he really sparks a fascinating debate and perspective on how we as a society have lowered the standard of what a leader is. Actually, we've lowered the standards to the point that it's really killing business. You know, Tony has worked with hundreds of corporations and government agencies, including the U.S. Secret Service, the Homeland Security, sorry, the Department of Homeland Security, Chase Bank, Estee Lauder, and NASA. So definitely stay tuned for our conversation because he has a ton of insight to share with you. And remember to stay just two minutes after the episode to listen to my closing segment called Karen's Take, where I share a tip on how to use insights from today's episode to further sharpen your leadership acumen. And now, enjoy the show. Hey there, superstars. This is Karen, and welcome to another episode of the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast. We have a tremendous guest with you uh, that is visiting us today. Uh, He is another superstar in the world of leadership development, but he brings his own unique flavor to that, and he has agreed to come and share with you all some of the nuggets of knowledge that he has written in his book. And I'm so pleased to welcome to today's show, Mr. Tony Chapman, who is the founder of Chapman Enterprises. He's a tremendous thought leader in the areas of workplace relationships and, you know, really how to get the best out of your people, which is, this is our space. This is what the podcast is all about. 
But what he is really very renowned for, especially as of late, he is the author of a book called The Force Multiplier, How to Lead Teams Where Everyone Wins. And you know, I am itching to get into what that is all about. So welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thanks for having me, Karen. Oh, and listeners, this man is busy as all get out. And so I am so thankful that he agreed to steal a little bit of time with us. It was uh, hard getting him on our schedule, but we're so happy to have him. So Tony, before we go deep on understanding the force multiplier, I'm dying to know, uh, but for as much as you feel comfortable, would you mind giving us a sneak peek into maybe your personal and professional life right now? Sure. I'd say it's all about balance right now. On a professional level, we're in the middle of scaling up, right? We're bringing on other trainers, contractors, all of that. And so that brings a tremendous amount of stress. So the other part is making sure that on a personal level, that I'm just in a good place, right? That mostly I'm in a good place and my wife's in a good place. And so one of the things we are doing is um, I'm actually in Mexico right now. How's that for you? I've been here for six months. We're in the middle of transitioning into being, uh, you know, I, I call ourselves global citizens. And so we're getting our residency here in Mexico. I, I'm literally a 15-minute walk to the Caribbean Sea, one of the most beautiful beaches you've ever seen. Uh, but what it does is it allows me to give everything I need to all of my clients and to our vendors and to our staff and to all of our contractors and yet make sure that I'm good. When I shut things off, I shut things off. I try yeah. to walk on the beach 12 times a week, literally, either in the morning or in the afternoon. Uh, just things that are important because, as you know, in this space, you can't pour from an empty cup. And so I'm trying to make yeah. sure my cup is full. Oh, my gosh. I think we're uh, sisters and brothers from another mother because that's <laughs> how we try to live. I'm not living anywhere else per se, but I do call myself a citizen of the world. It's on all of uh, the website and all of my uh, bios. Because I try to visit for significant periods, tons mm-hmm. of countries. I've gone to over 40 countries to be immersive in the culture. So um, kudos to you for having the courage to take that balanced life or, or define balanced life for what it means for you and your family. That's amazing. Thanks. It was amazing. definitely a jump. I mean, you, it was, <laughs> you know, I mean, you're, how is this going to affect business? Nobody seems to understand. Is Mexico safe? And, yes. you know, fortunately, you know, we have redesigned our business to be primarily virtual right now, which gives mm-hmm. us the freedom to be able to make these types of decisions. And the truth is, from the big scale, the risk is small. Sure. Right? If absolutely. it doesn't work out, I move back to the States. It is what it is. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. And being a leader of a business, I know you have a great deal of experience with, you know, pre your company, but. Being a leader of your business is a whole nother animal as you decide, you know, I can speak from personal experience, you know, and how, as you decide where you want to focus and niche in, how you want to build your, not only your personal brand, but your leadership brand, and then how you want to your point, scale the business, or do you want to scale the business? Some people, the answer is no, others is yes. And if it is yes, then how do you get the right talent on the team? So um, I'm curious. What are a a few examples of challenges that you're facing right now as you're working to scale your business and your impact? 
Sure. And I think some of them are what everyone goes through as entrepreneurs that go from solopreneurs to business owners, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, one of them is just finding the right people. Yeah. That is yes. the thing. And I'll tell you, I'm going to talk about my book uh, uh, soon. Yeah. But, um, I, I got to give this little preface. Because sure. if, if I were going to rewrite the book, which I'll probably update it soon, the thing that I, I took for granted and I didn't put in there was kind of an assumed thing is that the first thing a leader has to do is A, have a vision, but B, just have a standard of excellence. Yes. And I take for granted my standard of excellence. I get rehired. I I don't really market. In fact, I'm working on marketing this year because I basically run a business off of referrals, word of mouth, and it's just, you know, avalanched. But at the same time, I know that that happens because I always over deliver. I just, there's yeah. a standard of excellence. Yeah. And what, I, what I'm looking at now is I'm bringing people on, their skill sets that I want them to have. You know, there's a teachability. Teachability is probably more important than a lot of skill sets. Mm-hmm. But if they don't have a standard of excellence, you're in trouble. Absolutely. Because the truth your is, name on the line yeah, your reputation. You're, you're giving them your baby. This is your yeah. baby. You built this. You you conceived this and you've given birth to this. And now you've got to trust that this person is going to be a really good caregiver of your baby. And so I think the challenge, and I've done a pretty good job. There's a, a person or two I got to keep my eye on right now. <laughs> you know, if I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, but right, right. for the most part, I think we've done a good job. But So that's part of it. And then I think the second part, and you talked about finding your niche and everything. Mm-hmm. When I started, I just wanted to be a speaker. That's all I want. You know, I was an expert in areas, but I just wanted to be a speaker. I had chances to scale years ago and rejected them all. And in part, I just wasn't ready. Part, I just didn't want it. But the other thing is I was very stuck on, if you're an expert in this area, that's your area of expertise. And we have to be able to adapt and transform constantly. Yeah. So- for me, I'm looking less at where the marketplace is now and where will it be in the next three to five years so that we're prepared to be on the forefront of that. That's really mm-hmm. what set us up with unconscious bias is I was an expert in it before it got hot. So when it got hot, people already need to come to me. So right. what's that next area that I need to get become an expert in so that when it gets hot, I'm ready? Oh, I love that. And you know, I will I just share really quick, personally, similar to you. I mean, I was continue to be an expert in, you know, leadership and organizational effectiveness. I always say the people side of business, human resources, uh, talent development, organizational effectiveness, but people get to know you for one thing and then they'll, they'll love you and trust you. And then they'll ask, well, do you have this other specialty? Now I'll be the first to say, I'm not a 30 year pro in diversity and inclusion training. I've done, you know, I've trained the courses before, but I won't say that I've been a deep researcher or what have you, but people would tap me on this. Hey, we're needing help, you know, during the pandemic. And to your point, it's finding like for some things um, I could definitely do, but for deep, deep work, finding experts that I trusted with the clients uh, that I had that would give them the same, you know, white glove service that I did. It was challenging to do, to find 
those. And because I'm a perfectionist too, was um, didn't help <laughs> the situation at all. So uh, to your point, finding talent, you know, people, maybe colleagues that you've worked with before, you know, and trust is very important when your business is on the line. But you and I probably could talk about that all we day. We could but talk I, about that forever. I would just say this one thing. I'll say this one thing and I know we'll move on. Yeah. You're trying to be excellent. You realize just how mediocre average really is. Yes. Oh my goodness. And I will share because our model, business model evolved. I mean, I started out as a solopreneur, but now we have over, I have an internal staff, employees, but then we also have a pool of now over 200 consultants that we pull in on different projects as needed. But that was built over time burst, and it's made up primarily of people either I had worked with before or that came highly recommended that we you know tested out and it it was extremely hard to be willing to place people on those types of opportunities. It helped to expand business opportunities, but I would say even out of the pool, there's probably a good 20 to 30 that I will go to that are on speed dial because I have that level of confidence in, and then the, you know, others we put in play as needed. But anywho, I don't want to take away from our time from your book, but let's, let's switch and and delve a little bit deeper into the, the force multiplier and give us a little bit about the origins of why you wrote the book and, and some high level um, concept points that you write about. Sure. So let's talk about why. And then I can also talk about the title of the book. I wrote the book because I was doing a lot of leadership development training. And I very quickly realized that there were some very simple patterns I was seeing. People struggle with the same stuff. And it's always the people side. And leaders were selected because they were great contributors. They were thrown into position of leadership. They're under-trained, under-prepared, expected to do things, you know, by whatever comes natural, and that often betrays them and sets them up for failure. So my idea of writing a book was I wanted to write a book that if I could not be there training you, that you would get good training. So not all the theoretical, you know, here's how you build a culture and here's how you turn the ship. People want to know, how do I deal with that joker over there who's saying that ain't in my job description? That's what I want. Right. right. And so I, I wanted to be that basic and practical. And in fact, now and here's the nuance, uh, because I don't think that there's enough good leaders out there. Okay. I'm just going to say it as is. And if you there's ask not, people, I, I verify yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you ask people, the average person and, and everyone watching this can do this, go to some of your friends and say, have you ever had two great bosses in a row? Two. Not average, not medium, but two great boss. People look at you like you're a unicorn, right? And so your initial title of the book was actually why I hate my job, right? Because from the employee experience, it's Mm -hmm. I don't hate what I do and I don't always hate who I do it with. It's just that this person who's leading me is is causing me to want to leave. The idea of the force multiplier came because I had a close friend, I still have a close friend, and I found out that he was being deployed to Afghanistan. And so we had a, a going away party for him. And it was at my house. I hosted, it was like 30 people. And we ate, we laughed, we drank. 
But at one point we went around the room and we shared, you know, we're going to be there for you. We're going to make sure we stay in contact. We're going to make sure that your kids are taken, your two young kids are taken care of and your wife and everything else. And I was waiting for one person who's a high ranking officer in the army to speak. And he said, you're what I call a force multiplier because by your very presence, you bring out the best in everyone around you. And I He said that to you? He said that to the person who was leaving. Oh, to the person. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. And I stopped. Because, you know, the, the concept of a force multiplier is it's a tool. It's like a lever or a hammer. It, it multiplies the energy that you put into it. But rarely had I heard it used to describe people. In fact, although there are some people in the, the military who do that, it's not even common in the military. But I thought to myself, isn't that what we should expect from every leader? They're there to bring out the best in other people. They're there to free them up to, to work, to prepare them to work, to do all of these things that they actually want to do. And unfortunately, most don't do that. And so I really wanted to redefine leadership or maybe I wanted to stop lowering the standard of leadership to say leaders have to be great. We expect leaders to actually make a difference because if not, they become expendable, right? We, we've That's seen true. that. We've seen. And in fact, I, I had this thought last week. You'll be the first person I've ever shared this with. Oh, I feel special. Who, so often we reward leaders for being so mediocre. It's almost like we're giving out leadership participation trophies. Yes. You know what I mean? You it's do, like, yes. well, you're still here and they're still here and but you never led. We need you to lead. And not everyone's going to be great at it, but we need you to give your best at it. And so right. that's really what the book's all about. You know, I think we need to mark your book and my book as sister and brother books, because you're so right that everybody needs to lead, but where they get stuck is the how. And that's what Lead at the Top of Your Game talks about. So, you know, they it's so interesting. I always talk to executives and there's not a single, single executive in a company that doesn't want to see the best out of their people. They're dying to see great leadership. And there are very few staff members or employees or that don't want to show up as their best selves at work. But for some reason, it doesn't happen. There's not a matchmaking that goes on there. And I'm, I'm, and I always wonder why, you know, and I've, in through my research and studies, it's always seems like people, they understand the basic concepts of leadership, but they get stuck in the how to get it done and the dynamics that are in play, like office politics or a non-supportive boss or a crazy thing that happened in the market. The how is where they get stuck. And when they don't know what to do, then they resort back to their comfort zone, which is mediocre leadership, right? Mediocre acts. So, but what else did you find when you were writing the force multiplier? What were some of the things that some of the most successful individuals were able to do or implement to be a force multiplier? Well, I think that even going back to what you just said, it's the idea that we often oversimplify this thing, right? Mm -hmm. A friend of mine always says, you know, this ain't grits where you just add water and stir. Right. Uh, there, there, there's a lot <laughs> right. more ingredients to this thing 
Uh, and what starts to happen is mm-hmm. when you always look for the simple solution, we become superstitious. And here's what I mean. We do one thing and it works and we assume that it will always work. We don't even know if it worked because of what you did, but we right. just say, well, I did this. And so now I always need to do that. That may not be applicable in this other context or with these other people. And so we, we, oh, we, we have to really stop back and say, okay, from a grander scheme, what, what do we need to do? So some things for me that I've learned very quickly, you have to treat people in a way that is, what people really want is value and respect. They want to be valued and respected. They will run through fire for you if you value them and respect them. And yet often we get frustrated and we don't value them or respect them. or We don't realize that we're not doing it. So that's one big one. Another one, and this is, I don't want this to sound too touchy-feely. Oh, God. Another one is our, our attitude. Yeah. Our personality, right? That's right. So that's right. I had a mentor. I had gotten a promotion into this leadership position, and he said the most unbelievable thing to me. He said, <laughs> congratulations, you just lost the luxury of having a bad day. Wow. Who thinks of it that way, no. right? So there's a lot of components. Number one, there's the acknowledgement that you having a bad day as a leader impacts other people. But I had never heard anyone describe having a bad day as a luxury. No. When something's a luxury, you can get past that quickly. This isn't important. It's just a luxury. Having a bad day, you get over it quickly. You can have a bad moment, but move on. And and there's researchers who have been able to predict the success of sales teams simply based on their emotional state. And so Mm -hmm. we have this emotional contagion. You know, like, hey, so we're yards. It makes people want to yawn too, right? Like I probably just made people yawn, right? When we smile, it makes people want to smile. Our our emotions become contagious. And so if you have a team that is always negative or down, look at yourself first because your emotions can lead them out of it. So those are like two basic ones. Or let me give you one that most people trip trip up on. Sure. And it's, it's really two of them together, okay? So it's a balance. We need to reward people when they do a job well done, and we need to deal with and correct poor performance and behavior, okay? Most people are good at one or the other or neither, but few are good at both. So if you don't correct bad behavior, then you become complicit and it becomes part of your culture and it becomes contagious. That's Bad right. behavior or poor performance. But here's the funny thing about the rewards. So most of us have employees that are top performers, right? We have the, the 20 to 30 that we go to, right? right. And then we have right. the other ones that are in the middle. And then there we have some like, they're still on the roster, but I ain't calling them, right? We, we right. know that. Okay. Now we're different because we're contractors, but when you have an employee who's a top performer, what do you do? You give them more to do because they have a greater capacity. That's right. We literally punish them for being top performers. And if we don't have some other mechanism of rewarding them, then they will realize at some point, because they're smart, 
all that working harder gets me is more work and no benefits. Let me slow this thing down and get like the rest of the people. Absolutely. We absolutely do. You almost run them in the ground because they are high performers. And I'm a witness to that. I led one of these programs for high performers. Right. Um, Hypos, so yeah. yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> they do. And don't take any off their plates. We give them more, but not take anything off their plates. Or sometimes they don't, leaders don't redirect, I guess, other worker responsibilities to free them up to do some right. of those higher level leadership initiatives that are would be of higher value, you know, to the yeah. company that they're working in. Are you, do you see that too? Yeah. Oh, both of those. Absolutely. Or even express a vision. We talked about hypos, right? One of the issues with, you know, the idea of the high performing employee, high potential employee is if you don't express your vision for their career path, they're far more likely to leave. And so, okay, look, explain them. Look, I know you're outworking everybody else. You have the capability, you have the capacity. Number one, I want you to know, I really appreciate it. There's some special programs I'm going to want you to work on. It is more work. I want you to know I recognize it. I'm going to try to reward you for it. But I'm also using this to prepare you for the next level because I have such a vision for you. Something as simple as that makes a huge difference. But we get so caught up in all the other stuff to do that we forget. Because then they can see a light at the end of the tunnel a bit. Then they will be more willing to be all in uh, to gain those additional experiences in hopes for you know, role of broader scope of responsibility down the road. So you're, right. you're so spot on with that. Yeah. Um, so what, if anything, can you, let me ask you this question. This might be a little unusual, but would you want to have an entire team of force multipliers or do you need a mix of, worker bees and force multipliers together? Oh, I want all force multipliers. And here's mm-hmm. why. Being a force multiplier is not dependent on your position. So you can be a contributor and be a force multiplier. And so now you may be thinking, but if you're doing that, then that's not going to, you know, there's no team for you to leave. Maybe not, but that's going to show through in how you interact now with clients how you interact with vendors, how you interact with the rest of the team. It's just this idea of, I want everyone to be better because I'm here. And all of us have had that. We yeah. worked in a place where it wasn't the leader who motivated us. It right. wasn't the leader that we went to when something was struggling, where we were struggling with something. It wasn't the leader we went to when we needed guidance. There was this other opinion leader, I call them. They're right. a force multiplier. They just didn't yes. have the title or the position. What I wanted, and thank you so much for that, because what I was trying to pull out, which you did an excellent job, is that you don't have to be the leader that dances on tables in order to be a force multiplier. You could do that in your role just as you are, whether no matter your personality, introverted or extroverted, no matter your knowledge you know, level, you can focus on yourself and your actions to be a force multiplier for those around you, right? Absolutely. And I, <laughs> I really appreciate the fact that you said, regardless of your personality, because yeah. quite often people think you have to be this boisterous 
extroverted person to be a leader. Right. And that's not true. You just need to figure out how to work with who you are. Because we can also see when people are not authentic. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, being in order to be a force multiplier, I would guess that it involves being very astute to those around you, those that you're working with and those you're trying to influence or and or lead. And we had a chance to chat before the show and talk about uh, the tactics in my book. And you mentioned the one that popped out for you was stakeholder savvy. And I think I understand why now. based on our conversation here, but I'm going to let you put in your own words. Why do you think a leader having stakeholder savvy is very important? Good leaders understand that they're not leading companies or teams, but they're leading groups of people, individuals. And individuals are motivated differently. They're excited by different things. I'm a big believer in personality tests. You You know, in my book, I have my own model of personality types. We have a conductor, a navigator, an MC, and a diplomat, right? Because yeah. I wanted it to be really simple. And yeah, the key sure. is not who are you, it's who is everyone around you. How do you, you okay, go. I'm in Mexico, mm-hmm. but I lived in the US, so I have dollars, US dollars. Not everyone here takes US dollars. Right. So there are times that I have to exchange my currency for a currency that works where I am. And right. that's what we have to do with people that we're with is, is not that we're being insincere or different. We have to understand, I want them to feel encouraged. But if I do what works for me, that may not be a currency that works for them. So what do I need to do to exchange that currency so that I get the desired result? That, that's so important. And unfortunately, it's often lumped into this and I, I'm, you probably feel the same way because I'm, I'm starting to see we're so much alike. We are. <laughs> this label of soft skills, right? Where people don't even acknowledge these so-called soft skills are driving your company. These yeah. so-called soft skills change the bottom line, right? And so people think, yeah, I don't need to worry about all this personality stuff. I'll tell you what. Yeah, you, you do. You, fig- you, you figure out. And here's the truth, and I, I guarantee you understand. Yeah. You figure out stakeholder savvy. Yeah. Not only will your business have a competitive advantage, you'll be a better spouse, partner, parent, and community member. Because you will right. realize your children are different from one another. One, one another, and you have to not. It's not that you're not being fair, but understand you have to be different with each of them to get your desired effect. You'll understand that with the person that you partner with or date or marry that they're not going to respond to the same stimuli that you do. So you have to change these things. You just become so much more aware and it makes you so much effective as you navigate the world around you. I think stakeholder savvy is such a critical skill and it's neglected because most of us go to school and we learn about products and processes, but not about people. That's absolutely right. And okay, I'm just going to hire Chapman Enterprises to teach my whole... um, We're going to figure out some ways to partner when this is done. I know. But I also wanted to reiterate to our audience that, you know, although I always lean a little bit towards corporate because that's kind of the environment I came from, this also applies if you're a leader in your business and just you kind of switch your lens to your customers. As you are focused on 
better understanding who you're trying to serve with your product or service or process, then you'll become more in in tune with their needs. And that will translate to, hopefully, if you're doing things right, for your business to be more effective and that you would be the business of choice in the eyes of you know your target market or target audience. So what we're, um, Sonny and I are talking about applies no matter if you're at an employer in the world of work or if no matter or if you you know own a business as well no matter what or if you're in a nonprofit your audience would be your donors you know making sure that you're hitting the right points for what they care about and and where that that line crosses with what you're trying to do via your nonprofit via your nonprofit and serving the underserved so yeah so everyone yeah. out there this applies to you right Tony Absolutely. And I, number one, you said it so, so rightly, so eloquently, (laughs) because I do a lot of work with the federal government. I do Mm. a lot of work with highly educated, you know, PhDs in nanotechnology and AI. And I actually last month got to go inside of a particle accelerator, right? Oh, Um, amazing. Yeah, it's just mind blowing. You know, at the same time, I do a lot of work with nonprofit organizations, with associations. But I, I think the group that you mentioned were the entrepreneurs, because we, we mentioned that employees, they're contributors, and then they get promoted because they're good contributors and they have to learn leadership. Mm-hmm. Entrepreneurs start off with a great product or service, but then they're the bottleneck and they now have to bring other people in and they have to learn leadership in that exact same way. So we don't want to miss out on you know the importance of what Karen just said here. Oh, thank you. Well, no, you you dropped a ton of gems yourself. This has been wonderful. Well, one final question for you, Tony, before we wrap up, and I hope this is not a gotcha question, but I'm always curious about what leader differentiated themselves in the minds of my podcast guests. And when I say leader, it can be a person, it can be a company, it can be a business, it could be a nonprofit, but, and they're leaders in all of that. But has there been a leader that has differentiated themselves so much that, you know, you really admire and, and are impressed by them? And if so, what, what did they do to earn your trust and your love? Sure. I'll say, do you want their names or just kind of just talk about them? What do you want me to do? Either one, whatever you're comfortable yeah, with. Yeah. So one of them was one of my first mentors mm. and we were working in faith-based nonprofit. And w- what I saw, number one, we were very like-minded because I, I come from an engineering background. So I'm a deep reader, deep thinker, you know, so in faith-based nonprofit, I'm reading, you know, the anti-Nicene fathers and, you know, all this other stuff. And he was the first person that I saw think that deeply. But what I saw mm-hmm. from him that was different than everyone else, because we were working in the community, we were working with churches, we were training ministers, his vision of what he wanted done and the level of excellence that he wanted. And so the expertise that he expected of himself to get there was incredible. Mm-hmm. And so I watched him maintain that level or that standard in spite of all of the naysayers and the people who constantly wanted him to lower that standard. And that's the struggle I have with, you know, in my own business is even when I say, oh man, I'm, so, I'm 
bummed that I messed up that. Oh, that wasn't a big deal. No, that was a big deal. To me, that was a big deal because it's not my standard. Right. So seeing him do that and seeing him do that, you know, in, in full transparency as a, the first black man to ever be in that position was important because I'm only the second African-American to ever graduate from my university with my degree. So I know that space. So right. th that was one. The other one, it's weird. This is a person I just got to interact with, for, you know, in a decent way the first, for the first time last week. And I don't oh, want to give his name um, or any specifics <laughs> for a few reasons, but he's the president of a university that he has turned around and turned it into a gem. It's This place is unbelievable. Wow. But it was the same thing. It was that he took a place that was basically a, a cow pasture and turned mm -hmm. it into a place that's at the forefront of, you know, experiential learning, technology. You know, they have a 99% graduation rate. I mean, it's fascinating. Wow. But what I saw with him was the same thing. We would walk and he would just see something that wasn't right. And he'd pull someone by the arm and says, hey, you know, you're doing a great job. Hey, do you see that? Can we just change that one thing? And he was getting other people to see what he saw so that they could get his vision and it would then, you know, matriculate through the entire organization. And it was so, to see someone do it at that level was so uh, inspiring and encouraging. So those are the two. And you'll see, obviously, the similarities, vision, expectation, and bringing other people into that space were really important. Well, you don't know this, but even this anonymous person, it will be a great example for for me to include in the story uh, with my book, because even in that what 15 second overview, you explain how this individual had the courageous agility to, to do something different for that organization. And they knew it was the right thing. They had the intellectual horsepower, the knowledge to get it done. They, and see things that other people didn't see, but he saw possibilities. He was his own entrepreneur, um, creating a, a new space or improved space. You know, he led with a drive for results. He got it done to the point that he impressed you so much. You know, stakeholder savvy. I mean, that goes without saying. I mean, all of this he embodied by being the type of leader and leading at the top of his game. I don't even know who this individual is. But I can already tell he's leading at the top of his game. And it's not saying that he doesn't have slow days or bad days or challenges that come his way, but it sounds like he persevered to the point that he transformed the school into something that others hadn't envisioned would be in place at this point in time. Yeah, it's, and you're, you're spot on. He's all of those things. And, and more, probably. Yeah, any understands he has to always be on. Yeah. Because because of what he does and because of the, the stances he takes, yeah. he's always being watched. And so he's always impacting others. So absolutely. Um, he's definitely at the top of his game. <laughs> All right, Tony, you know what? I'm just going to have to bring you on another time again um, because we have so much more to talk about or we could. But for the time being, this has been a fantastic. Thank you so much for being part of the Lead at the Top of Your Game episode. You're tremendous. Great. Thanks so much for having me. This has been an incredible experience. Oh, wonderful. Well, listeners, I know your notepads are full because mine definitely were with all the great knowledge that Tony has shared. 
please be sure you check out the show notes. I will have links to all of his information there where you can find him. I'm sure he'll welcome you with open arms. All you have to say is Karen referred you and you heard him on the lead at the top of your game podcast and he'll have you on speed dial. But please be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. And my only ask is you share the podcast with just one other friend. That will help us grow our reach and it'll also help you to help make others great. Thanks so much and we'll see you next week. Take care. Well, I hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Tony Chapman, founder of Chapman Enterprises. Links to his bio, his entry into our leadership playbook and additional resources can be found in the show notes, both on your favorite podcast platform of choice and on the web at leadyourgamepodcast.com. And now for Karen's take on today's topic of being a force multiplier. You know, one of the keys to leadership success involves cultivating an A-plus team of force multipliers. And as Tony outlined in our conversation, there are many things to consider. However, I want to add two dynamics for you to also contemplate. The first, I want to encourage you all not to be a force subtractor. Now, this sounds beyond obvious, but yet how many leaders have you worked with that end up disrupting work more than they facilitate it? Leaders are almost by definition in a position of power and influence, and that power can just as easily hamper a team as it can propel it. Subtractors are often leaders doing or saying things that might impress those in the upper hierarchy of the organization, but they don't give sufficient consideration for the cost that is imposed to those further down in the organization, they're going to actually have to get the task done. And as leaders, we need to consider the net value of the cost of the organization as a whole, and then work to mitigate any negative factors. The second thing I want you to think about is to be aware of diminishing returns of your direct contributions. As you progress as an individual leader, it will become harder and harder for you to increase the direct value that you can provide to a project. You only have so much capacity and there are only a limited amount of hours in a day. So depending upon your field, it may even be a challenge just to keep up to date with the new technical or functional advances uh, around you because you know things change at supersonic speed. Now, as a leader, your greatest opportunity is to create additional value through driving improvements in others, both as individuals and drive value for the team as a collective. And in order to do this, it's going to be important for you to continue your growth in your industry or domain of choice. And you can definitely use one of our favorite um, leadership execution tactics called leading with intellectual horsepower. And for those of you who are not familiar with that tactic, leading with intellectual horsepower is all about using your areas of expertise to peek around corners in order to spot trends, connect the dots, and identify new areas of opportunity that others miss. That is the true definition of applying, providing additional value. So if you or your team is interested in learning more about effective leadership in action, be sure to check out our signature leadership development assessment and workshop on the web at developingyourgame.com. 
And my last ask is to be, remember to subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast with just one friend so that we can expand our reach and help others to also lead at the top of their game. Thanks so much for the gift of your listening and see you next week. And that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to the Lead at the Top of Your Game podcast, where we help you lead your seat at any employer, business, or industry in which you choose to play. You can check out the show notes, additional episodes, bonus resources, and also submit guest recommendations on our website at leadyourgamepodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn by searching for the name Karen Rhodes with Karen being spelled K-A-R-A-N. And if you like the show, the greatest gift you can give would be to subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast platform of choice. This podcast has been a production of Shockingly Different Leadership, a global consultancy which helps organizations execute their people, talent development, and organizational effectiveness initiatives on an on-demand project or contract basis. Huge thanks to our production and editing team for a job well done. Goodbye for now.